This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, February 18th, 2021. I'm your host, Dakota Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon will be updating you on campus news, and then I'll be delivering local news. After that, we'll be hearing from KCSU sports, Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum, and I'll be speaking to Dr. Ann Wise about ACA enrollment and healthcare outcomes. Then, Coda will be delivering some national news, and we'll be hearing from Jordan Wyman about the upcoming CSU Fashion Show. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and speaking to Noel Mason from The Collegian. To conclude the show, Coda will be giving some updates on technology, and I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to Campus News on the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU. We're almost done with our fifth week of the spring semester here at CSU, and news continues to come about our fall semester of 2021. Earlier this week, President Joyce McConnell announced that CSU will be returning to all on-campus activities for the fall, while still abiding to Larimer counties in the CDC's restrictions. This year's International Symposium will be held virtually over Zoom on February 23rd and 24th. The symposium will feature two keynote speakers in six other sessions, going over topics such as climate change, foreign relations, and diversity. The full schedule for this can be found on international.colostate.edu symposium. CSU workers that want to make their work freely available have worked with the Colorado Alliance of Research Libraries and CSU's library to negotiate a deal of open access, read and publish agreement with Cambridge University Press. According to Jenna Allen through CSU's College News, CSU authors can publish an unlimited number of articles in over 300 open access journals from Cambridge University Press. Authors can take advantage of this deal through December 31st, 2023. Saliva screenings are still available at Moby Arena, Mac Gym, and the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus. Students, staff, and faculty receive emails each week with the link to sign up. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review again next Tuesday, and thanks for listening this week. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey. This is your local news for today. Colorado Governor Jared Polis held a State of the State address Wednesday, urging lawmakers to make moves on the economy, health, and education. According to Patty Nieberg of the Associated Press, Polis urged in his address for lawmakers to take quick action on a $1 billion-plus stimulus plan, lower taxes to jumpstart the economy, and move on other actions to help Colorado recover from COVID-19. In terms of health, Polis also again threw his weight behind an effort to create a state-administered health insurance option. The idea is to generate more competition in a market where many rural residents have few options, even with the state health insurance exchange created under the Affordable Care Act. In terms of education, Polis insisted that lawmakers not only restore last year's drastic cuts to public education caused by pandemic-related revenue shortfalls, but ensure that children can access universal preschool and kindergarten and that higher education is affordable. The governor's agenda for the 2021 legislative section also includes continued incentives for renewable energy. His administration is committed to making Colorado's electricity grid run on renewable sources by 2040. He introduced that topic by addressing the catastrophic 2020 wildfires. Polis said, quote, 
How many homes and businesses must we lose before we resolve to meet the threat of climate change with the seriousness it demands? End quote. A judge has upheld the Larimer County Board of Commissioners' denial of a permit for the Thornton Pipeline Project. According to Sadie Swanson and Jason Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, the Thornton Pipeline Project was a plan designed to transport Poudre River water from the reservoirs of northeast of Fort Collins to a water treatment plant in Thornton to support the city's growing population. In a court decision Monday, 8th Judicial District Judge Stephen Gerard sided with Larimer County in a lawsuit filed by Thornton officials contesting the commissioner's decision to not grant a permit for the pipeline construction. In a February 2019 decision, Larimer County commissioners unanimously denied a, a 1041 application for the pipeline's proposed path through Larimer County, saying the project did not meet seven of the 12 criteria for the permit. Gerard's decision and Thornton officials did not meet three of the criteria required. The plan submitted was not consistent with the county's master plan, did not provide reasonable design or sitting alternatives, and did not provide an adequate mitigation plan to adverse environmental effects of the land according to court documents. Gary Walkner of Save the Pooter said in an email statement that, quote, Thornton's proposed pipeline violates Larimer County's laws. Instead of appealing this case and throwing more good money after bad, Thornton needs to sit down with stakeholders in Larimer County and find a collaborative path forward, using the Poudre River option to get their water while restoring the Poudre River and protecting homeowners' private property. Thornton's communications director, Todd Barnes, said in an email statement concerning the decision that, quote, Thornton was hopeful to move forward in Larimer County with the process of bringing the quality water Thornton owns via pipeline to our residents. We remain committed to ensuring people of Thornton get the water they own, and after taking sufficient time to review the judge's decision, we will determine our next steps, end quote. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this has been your local news for today. After the break, we'll have sports news, and in about five minutes, we'll hear from CODA talking to Dr. Ann Weiss about ACA enrollment and healthcare outcomes. All this and more on the Rocky Mountain Review in 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Stay tuned. Would you like to be a part of a rising industry on your college campus? Well, you should check out KCSU and their podcast department. 90.5 KCSU is Colorado State University's student-run radio station where you can be involved with music, news, sports, and even production and podcasting. Come on down into the basement of the Lori Student Center and talk to a staff member today. Just remember to follow the music. CSU wants to hear your voice this Black History Month. 
Let us know what underrepresented people and events in black history you think more people should be aware of. Leave us a voicemail at 970-491-2388 for a chance to be featured on KCSU. Again, that number is 970-491-2388. Good afternoon, Northern Colorado. It's Jonathan Gillum for KCSU Sports. And we have some sports news. First of all, just some quick results. The women's golf tournament just happened in Las Vegas, where they placed 10th and tied for 8th. And did someone ask what time it is? Because it's game time. That's what time it is. That's right. Today is game day for women's volleyball, which means... That's right, the game will be heard right here on KCSU 90.5 with the live broadcast, also available on the stream. That's tonight at 7 p.m. CSU faces UNLV right at Moby Arena. Uh, additionally, right now, currently, the women's swimming and diving is playing in the Mountain West Championship in Las Vegas. Tomorrow, we have some activities going on tomorrow for CSU Sports 2 as well. Men's golf is going to versing Wyoming in the Desert Intercollegiate tournament cross country is playing battleborn in a cross country challenge in las vegas women's swimming and diving will continue as well as women's tennis is playing at drake in des moines isla at 12 p.m also women's basketball will verse nevada friday night 6 p.m and then saturday we've got a lot of events happening on saturday first of all men's basketball versus nevada was postponed when we hear the new scheduled date, we'll release that. Men's golf will continue their tournament versus Wyoming, and that's in the Palm Desert California Classic Club. Uh, women's swimming and diving will continue their Mountain West Swimming Championships. Softball faces Texas Tech at 9 a.m. Women's tennis faces South Dakota at 9 a.m. Volleyball, of course, will have that game, and that'll be at 12 p.m. on Saturday. Again, that will be broadcasted here live on air and on streaming as well. And then also softball at Texas A&M at 4.30 p.m. And that's all I got for Rams Sports for the week. And if you plan on tuning in tonight, myself and Dixon Lawson will be doing color and play-by-play for the Rams. Let's go Rams. And that's all I have for KCSU Sports. I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. You just heard from Jonathan Gillum with the RMR Sports Report. You're listening to 90.5 FM. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ann Wise, who is a managing director of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, to talk about the AC enrollment period and how the pandemic has exposed the inequities of the U.S. healthcare system. So to start off with, Anne, can you just tell us a bit about your experiences and expertise before we get started? Well, I've been at the foundation for about 20 years, uh, during which I've been part of our efforts to build a culture of health in which everyone has a fair and just opportunity to lead a healthy life. Before that, I spent 10 years in state government and 10 years in the federal government, including working uh, on Capitol Hill. All right, thank you. And then just to get started on discussion about ACA, um, who is typically eligible for affordable health insurance and when does the enrollment period end? Well, the enrollment period is three months long. It started this past Monday, February 15th, and it'll go through May 15th. And during that period, really anyone who doesn't have 
access to health insurance through the job through a job um, is welcome to visit healthcare.gov and find out about their insurance options. We're especially interested, of course, in the millions of people who have lost their jobs during the pandemic and along with that, their health insurance coverage, but it's not limited to them. It's really anyone who um, is struggling with that health insurance coverage and wants to know more. Thank you. And then how has enrollment um, for health insurance changed during the pandemic? Well, one of the toughest things is that in the first year of the pandemic, although many people did lose coverage and the people who are least likely to have coverage, people of color, low income people, many of our frontline and essential workers were struggling the most with COVID and with its impact. There was no opportunity for them to sign up for coverage until the very end of the year. And then it was only six weeks. So there was sort of a very limited time for you to learn about your options and, and um, in some states, there were opportunities to sign up for coverage made available, but those weren't there in every state. Then, of course, there are the difficulties that we're all learning to do things remotely and online that we haven't done online before, like apply for benefits. And for people without good internet access, there were further challenges. So between no opportunity to sign up in some states, very limited opportunities to sign up otherwise, and the challenges of life online, it's been pretty difficult. A lot of things are gonna change now. We have a three month period, which gives everyone time to get their questions answered, gather the information that they need. We have a national open period. Coverage is open in every state around the country. And one of the most important things is that after four years in which there was very little effort made to advertise the availability of insurance or for financial help to pay for insurance, we now understand that there's going to be a lot of money and time put into paid advertising and outreach and education. So getting the word out that this opportunity is available. I think a lot of things will start to feel different. Yeah, definitely. Um, so many people are particularly hesitant about accessing health care and often refuse to get health insurance because of that hesitancy. Um, usually this is because of racial or gender bias within the healthcare system or financial burdens. So why is it really important to have insurance and to have regular communication with a doctor and how does the ACA like support people in doing that? Well, financial burdens are right up there. You know, I, I think everyone knows that healthcare is very expensive and everyone knows that health insurance can be expensive. But two thirds of people don't know that when you sign up for coverage, there may be financial help available for you. The coverage may even be free. So we know that people who have health insurance are healthier mentally and physically because they don't have to wait to get care until their problems are more severe and costly. We know that people with coverage are more financially secure. They're not worried about debt. They pay their bills, they pay their rent, they pay their tuition. And we know that when people have health insurance, our hospitals and our doctors are also more financially secure and they're there when we need them. So I think having financial protection and knowing that you can get help with those costs is a really big part of the concern that people have about interacting with the healthcare system. You mentioned racial and gender bias and other forms of bias, and that definitely is a concern, and we're seeing that play into COVID. The education and outreach efforts that are going to be undertaken during this period can be a really important part of that because we need to reach out to people through their communities, through their trusted neighbor, neighbors, their churches, their grocery stores, their pharmacies, wherever they go that they can trust for health messages. 
And I think the events of the last year have raised all of our awarenesses about the ways in which our society has been structured um, in ways that create barriers to a healthy life for some people. And we need to, COVID has created problems, but I think also the opportunity to have a more honest dialogue about what it's gonna to take to make our systems help everyone help, have a health, healthy life, have a healthy life. Yeah. Um, and how do you think that the pandemic has also shown kind of this inequity within treatment outcomes, especially among black and indigenous people of color with some indigenous tribes in America being given body bags instead of treatment? Yeah, it's it's really been a, um, a devastating year for, for all of us who care about these issues and for so many communities that have been deeply affected. And I think we've seen the effects at different levels. I think the fact that many people have housing situations or employment situations that have exposed them to greater risk with less protection. I think the fact that resources are not equitably distributed around our country so that everybody had uh, protective equipment, everybody, now we're seeing issues with uh, inequities and in access to vaccines. I think that played a role. Um, and uh, I think that some healthcare systems had greater resources and greater ability to help their workforces deal with the burnout and the stress uh, while others suffer. One of the things that we've learned is that in communities where people are different, people are used to coming together to solve complicated problems where criminal justice and healthcare and education and business community are used to coming together to solve problems, they may have had a leg up on addressing some of the um, complicated challenges posed by COVID compared to those where people work in very fragmented ways. All right, and then just to finish up, um, can you tell me a little bit about the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the mission that you guys really work towards? With the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we are working with others to build a culture of health. And that means a society in which everyone has a fair and just opportunity to lead a healthy life. That means not only addressing problems in the healthcare system, but addressing all of the factors out in our communities that help us um, be healthy and addressing the obstacles that stand in the way. I do think that access to health insurance coverage, while it's not the only thing, the pandemic has really revealed how it's an extremely important factor in making sure that everyone has that opportunity. And this enrollment period um, is our chance to address that nationally, um, to make sure that we get everyone covered so that we can continue the conversation about all the other things that have to change in our society to, to help everyone achieve their healthiest possible life. All right, and then before we go, is there anything that you would like to add? Well, the most important thing is for people who think they are interested to go to healthcare.gov, learn about their insurance opportunities, and remember, that there may be financial help available and other kinds of assistance in signing up. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Weiss. Again, we just heard from Dr. Ann Weiss from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. We'll be right back with national news.
CCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Dr. Ann Wise about healthcare and ACA enrollment. If you missed that interview, you can check out the recorded version of our episode at kcsufm.com news or on Spotify at KCSU News. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News for February 18th. Around half a million Texas residents do not have access to electricity. According to Scott Newman at National Public Radio, the state is moving into a third day without electricity as a result of their historic winter storms. The primary manager of the electricity grid in the state, the Electricity... Re- The Electricity Reliability Council of Texas announced Thursday that providers will be restoring power to many regions experiencing outages over the next few days. Houston, Arlington, Fort Worth, and Tyler, Texas are all facing issues accessing clean drinking water. Residents of these cities have all been told to boil their drinking water after their water plant treatments lost power. In addition to Texans facing outages, Around 300,000 people are without power in Louisiana and Mississippi as well. Power outage tracking can be accessed at poweroutage.us. More than 30 people have died across the country as a result of the winter storms, including those who tried to heat their homes, resulting in carbon monoxide poisoning or house fires. Oregon is also facing outages as the state is warned about inclement weather. The Biden administration announced their new immigration plan with the help of congressional Democrats. According to Michael D. Scheer at the New York Times, this new plan offers an eight-year path to the U.S. citizenship. In a virtual news conference, Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey said Americans, quote, voted to restore common sense, compassion, and competence in our government, and part of that mandate is fixing our immigration system, end quote. This new piece of legislation will be called the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021 and came directly from one of President Joe Biden's proposals from his first day serving as president. The eight-year path to citizenship will offer many of the 11 million undocumented individuals living in the U.S. the ability to apply for a green card until they can win citizenship. They would hold the green card for a minimum of five years before getting the opportunity to become citizens within three more years. This legislation would also make it easier for families of those already in the U.S. to become citizens, and it would increase allotted worker visas. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster signed a new law banning most abortions and is now being sued by Planned Parenthood. According to Jeffrey Collins of the Associated Press, this, the immediate response from Planned Parenthood effectively prevented the law from going into effect for South Carolina citizens. The South Carolina House of Representatives passed the bill with a 79 to 35 vote, and many celebrated with a ceremony after, which included lawmakers standing shoulder to shoulder despite COVID-19 risks and singing in praise of God. In a statement Thursday, Attorney General Alan Wilson of South Carolina said that his office will, quote, vigorously defend this law in court because there's nothing more important than protecting life, end quote. The lawsuit from Planned Parenthood says that the law is, quote, in flagrant violation of nearly five decades of settled Supreme Court precedent, end quote. The law would require doctors to check for a fetal heartbeat via ultrasound before performing an abortion, but there is an exception for rape and incest, as well as if the patient's life is at risk. Los Angeles schools cut school police officers from their budget in order to fund an achievement plan for black students. According to the Associated Press and USA Today, the school board cut $25 million, which will include 40 
which will include 40 sworn officers, 62 non-sworn officers, and one support staff member from the Los Angeles School Police Department. The school police force would still have 211 officers, according to the Los Angeles Times. The $25 million decrease from school police budget will allow for a $36.5 million fund to create the Black Student Achievement Plan, which will support 53 schools with high percentages of black students and lower performing scores in English and math. The program will support these students in, by hiring what they call climate coaches, who will advocate for student success and support in creating positive school cultures. These mentors will also help implement new learning strategies and support conflict resolution with de-escalation techniques. The hope with this new program is to build better relationship with students and staff and address racially disproportionate school discipline records and practices. Around 5,000 National Guard troops are set to remain in Washington, D.C. until March 12th due to concerns over QAnon-related violence. According to Zachary Cohen and Ellie Kaufman at CNN, conspiracy theorists believe that it is possible for President Donald Trump to be inaugurated on March 4th, and some have made plans to storm the Capitol again. The requests come from Capitol Police, and the main hope is to reduce fear and paranoia, as well as to be prepared in case of an emergency. Some lawmakers believe this additional security may be unnecessary, while others argue that they should stay past the planned date of March 12th. Some lawmakers argue that it should be extended as a result of Biden's upcoming joint address to Congress. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any part of the show, check us out online at kcsufm.com news or on Spotify at KCSU News. You just heard national news highlights. Now we're going to be hearing about CSU's fashion show this spring and getting some details on what it will look like with health restrictions. Would you mind introducing yourself really quickly? Uh, yeah, my name is Jordan Wyman. I'm a third year apparel and merchandising major. Um, and I am the committee head for the set and shoot for the fashion show this spring. Can you tell me a little bit more about the role that you play and some of the other jobs that other students are responsible for? So as the head of the committee, I'm in charge of delegating jobs to everyone else in my committee. Specifically, it's about filming the models on the runway um, and designing the runway itself, which has been a big focus these first few weeks of production. Um, we have lots of other committees, though. We have a separate committee for modeling garment, which is really, really important. We have a committee for um, like press and publication, as well as sponsorships. Um, we have a lot of different things going on. Each committee has a group of students working on it with a committee head and a director each. What is going to be featured at the fashion show this year? So like every year, the fashion show features the senior capstone collections that were made. Um, the senior capstone collections are just these mini collections made by the seniors who will be graduating soon. Um, we have some pretty cool ones, not as many as we do as we had last year, but it's about five to seven looks for each senior. Uh, each collection also has its own signature aesthetic and, and target consumer that they're aiming towards. So there's a lot of different things being featured. Can you tell me a little bit about when and where the fashion show is happening this year? So the fashion show will be available to view on April 9th. Um, it won't be in person this year, um, so that's gonna be a little bit different, but it'll be later in the spring. And with it being online, what makes this year's show unique? So since it's online, like I said before, the show itself will be virtual. Normally we have an in-person viewing and the show is live. People come and they sit down and they watch the models walk. 
that all has to change this semester. Um, so we're filming everything in advance and we'll be providing a video file for anyone who buys a ticket. And this also affects our VIP viewing. Um, we often have uh, VIP specialty uh, viewings in part and before and after parties for the fashion show, but this obviously <laughs> is not gonna be a thing. Um, another thing that we typically do is a silent auction, and this is also going to have to be virtual. Um, it also has affected a lot of the way we go about making the fashion show. Uh, the committees are pretty small and everyone's pretty spread out. Uh, it's made model call specifically very different because normally models show up in person and they audition. Everyone had to send in a video file this year who was interested. So there's been a lot that's been affected by COVID this year. So model call is still happening for some sizes. Who are you guys still looking for? Yeah, so we had some designers do some plus size looks this year, which was really cool, but it means we did need to look for plus size models, um, which we had a lot fewer come out than straight size models. So we're specifically looking for a couple plus size girls and a couple plus size guys. Um, I don't remember the exact sizes, but I think we're looking for sizes 14 to 16 for girls, so about a XL to 2XL for guys. Um, and if you're interested in applying to be a model for these sizes, um, you can email the CSU Fashion Show email, which is csufashionshow at gmail.com. Can you tell me a little bit about the process students are currently going through to put this show together? There's a lot going on right now. Uh, like I said earlier, there's a lot of different committees in this um, one class that is working towards the show. My committee is working on set design and set dressing, which is going to be very important for when we begin filming, because um, we're hoping to start filming very shortly. And that's going to involve a lot of on-hands work with the models as well as the model and garment team. And model and garment is in, is in charge of picking the models, picking the right outfits for the models to wear, because all the clothes are different sizes and some things are gonna look better on some people than others. Um, they also decide the walk pattern for the models and which garments we are featuring in some parts of our video. The promotions team is really hands-on with working with social media. They've been taking pictures of how hard everyone's working in class, posting them on Instagram and on TikTok. <laughs> um, we also have a Facebook that we've been doing a lot of outreach through and posting on. We also have a team specifically dedicated to sponsorships and getting sponsorships um, from companies and family members and anyone who is willing to donate to us. Sponsorships are really important, um, not only for funding the show, but for funding a lot of stuff for the apparel, for the design and merchandising program, actually. So there's a lot of moving parts happening right now from multiple different committees. If anyone's interested in kind of doing some of these things and participating in the fashion show next year, how can they do that? So the fashion show is actually produced through a class offered here at CSU. Um, it's an interdisciplinary class, so you don't have to be part of the design and merchandising program to be part of it. Uh, so if you're interested in participating, the fashion show takes place every spring. And um, the current teacher in charge of it is Jennifer Jennerette. Uh, so if you are interested, contact her um, through the College of Health and Human Sciences, and I'm sure she can target, she can steer you in the right direction for how to apply, because it is also application-based. For those interested in keeping up on the show's progress and generally the behind-the-scenes stuff, what social media can they find you on? 
Oh, we're on most platforms, actually. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and I believe also Twitter. All of those will be under CSU Fashion Show, no spaces. Um, we're posting some really fun things specifically on TikTok. So, yeah, go check those out if you're interested. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add? If you're interested in watching the fashion show this year, it will be virtual, so you can go buy tickets right now. Um, just search up CSU Fashion Show. You should be directed right to a, a College of Health and Human Sciences website that I'll have a link to buy tickets from. Um, if you buy a ticket, it just means you'll be sent a link to watch the show, so you can watch it no matter where you're at right now. The 2021 Spring Fashion Show at CSU is made with the combination of all sorts of students' work and allows students to get leadership and design experience. This year, the fashion show will be once again happening on April 9th, and it will be a video recording. If you're at all interested, you can Google CSU Fashion Show, and it will pop up with a link to buy tickets. In addition to this, it will have information on how to become a sponsor for the program, and information on the Department of Design and Merchandising, which puts on the show with the help of the College of Human Health and Sciences here at CSU. Again, that was Jordan Wyman, head of the Set and Shoot Committee for the annual Spring Fashion Show here at CSU. As a disclaimer, I do know Jordan personally, but CSU and student media have teamed up for this event's coverage, especially as we work with changing times. In about 10 minutes, we'll be hearing with tech news with myself, and then in about 15 minutes, we'll be hearing from Ivy Winfrey with her signature weird news. We'll be right back with COVID-19 updates. Always remember that if you miss any part of this show, you can check us out online at kcsufm.com news or KCSU News on Spotify. CSU wants to hear your voice this Black History Month. Let us know what underrepresented people and events in Black history you think more people should be aware of. Leave us a voicemail at 970-491-2388 for a chance to be featured on KCSU. Again, that number is 970-491-2388. The Matthews House is a Larimer County nonprofit working to empower youth and families to disrupt cycles of poverty and abuse. They do this by building trusting relationships and providing resources. The Matthews House works with at-risk populations, such as youth aging out of foster care and families involved in the child welfare system. And they focus on education, employment, housing, well-being, and life skills. To learn more about their work, visit thematthewshouse.org. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You've just heard from Jordan Wyman about the CSU Fashion Show. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is COVID-19 updates for February 18th. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of nearly 2,200 cases of COVID-19. The university is coming back from a minor spike in tests last week and has returned all hybrid and in-person courses to classrooms. Larimer County has a medium risk score for COVID-19 transmission, as determined by Larimer County Health Department, and has a total of nearly 19,000 cases and 219 deaths. 
There are over 330 outbreaks in the county, and over 70,000 people have received vaccinations as of Thursday. There were nearly 100 new cases in the past 24 hours, and every day in the past two weeks has seen at least 15 new cases. The county's 14-day case rate sits at over 250 per 100,000 residents, which is considered high. There are 21 COVID patients in county hospitals, and overall hospital utilization is at 67%. ICU utilization is at 76%, moving away from the lower percentage it experienced earlier in the week. The county is at an overall down on an overall downward trend in terms of daily cases, but residents and visitors should still follow guidelines, including social distancing and wearing masks when seeing people from outside their household. The state of Colorado has over 415 cases, 415,000 cases of COVID-19, and 2.5 million people have been tested for the virus that causes COVID-19. There are 5,800 deaths among cases, and over 5,600 have been confirmed to have been related to complications of the virus. There are over 3,700 outbreaks in the state. Winter storms have slowed vaccine distribution in Colorado, as a major vaccine distribution center in Tennessee was impacted by snow, ice, and cold temperatures. The, de the delay targets 133,000 vaccines expected to arrive in Colorado by Thursday, according to a press release. The United States has a total of over 27.9 million cases of COVID-19, with 70,000 reported yesterday. Deaths have reached over 490,000, with nearly 2,500 reported yesterday. Cases are down by 43% in the past two weeks, deaths are down by 34%, and hospitalizations are down 30% in the same time period. Currently, Texas and other southern regions of the U.S. are being impacted by a snowstorm, causing some people to pack into their homes for warmth and disregard the risk of COVID-19 spread due to the risk of hypothermia. Texas was already struggling with an increase in cases prior to this storm. A virologist also says that the World Health Organization has found no clear link between any Wuhan laboratories and the COVID-19 virus. The current theory for the virus says that the, the virus originated in bats, then transmitted to other animals before being found in humans. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from the virus and its transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, and staying at home when possible. Information from this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any of our shows so far, so far check us out on Spotify or online at kcsufm.com news. We'll be right back with tech and weird news. All right, today I am joined by Noel Mason from the Collegian to talk about reintroduction of species and longe longevity in northern Colorado. So as many people know, Colorado recently voted to reintroduce gray wolves into some regions of the state. Um, to start off with, what are some other animals that Larimer County specifically is reintroducing? Yeah, Larimer County has been in the process of reintroducing um, black-footed ferrets, boreal toads, and um, there was a really successful American bison reintroduction here recently. All right, thank you. And then just out of curiosity, how can reintroduction be a complicated and difficult process even when there's high demand for it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it's definitely different species by species because they all have such different roles in their ecosystem 
that there's so much to consider other than just the animal that you're reintroducing. Um, it has so many interactions with other animals, with plants, um, and it can have a big impact on the ecosystem if it stays absent, but also um, if it's reintroduced in a non, uh, if it's reintroduced improperly. Yeah, and then um, just kind of piggybacking off of that as well, um, how do you think that the gray wolf reintroduction was a bit controversial because of how um, farmers and ranch owners responded to it? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's controversial because of the predatory nature of gray wolves. I mean, you don't have that same issue with reintroducing toads. You know, that's not gonna kill somebody's cattle or um, threaten somebody's livelihood, but just because wolves do have such a big impact on not only their ecosystem, which is a positive impact, but um, they're not isolated to that ecosystem. So it can have it can have a negative impact on ranchers' livelihood and their cattle, um, whatever they may be producing. But I think that may be blown out of proportion a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot less implications specifically with the animals that Larimer County has chosen to reintroduce. Um, yeah. So what organizations really help through this process? There's a there's several different types of organizations. Um, a lot of the times it's state organizations um, like Colorado Fish and Wildlife, Parks and Wildlife. Um, sometimes the United States Fish and Wildlife Service is involved on a federal level, um, on more local scale, there's county and city organizations, but there's sometimes independent nonprofits uh, involved as well. All right, and then what are some ways that any person can really support the reintroduction of these species in the region? I think the most important thing is just learning about what's out there and what, um, especially what's endangered and what what to look out for and mostly just appreciating what you see. Um, you kind of want to do no harm as you are exploring outside, but also um, just being able to get out and appreciate what's there, I think is a big part of educating the public on what needs to be protected. All right, thank you so much. Is there anything that you would like to add before we go? Um, get outside, <laughs> go see what's out there. All right, thank you so much. Again, that was Noelle Mason from The Collegian, and we're going to be right back with Tech News. Hey, Julia, what's going on? Did you get my voicemail? No, what's up? It was literally breaking news. Okay. Do you just not keep up with the news? I mean, I try to, but you know I'm a busy guy. Do you have time to listen to the news? I don't see why not. Do you have a solution? Dude, every weekday, 9 to 9, every odd hour on KCSU, you can listen to local news as well as arts, sports, and science. Okay, every weekday from 9 to 9. I think I can fit that in my schedule. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. 
You just heard COVID-19 updates and our Q&A session with Collegian reporter Noelle Mason about her story on animal reintroduction in Larimer County. For those tuning in just now, you can listen back to these pieces at kcsufm.com news or on Spotify by searching KCSU News, which you can follow for updates. In about six minutes, we'll be hearing weird news with Ivy Winfrey. I'm Kota Babcock, and this is your tech news update for Thursday. Los Angeles police used Amazon Ring surveillance to identify protesters engaging in anti-police brutality activism. According to Addie Robertson from The Verge, LAPD requested Ring footage access from Amazon while making arrests related to vandalism during the protests over the summer in reaction to police brutality. Amazon and law enforcement have a more in-depth relationship than than just this instance, though, as they've repeatedly worked with over 2,000 police and fire departments in providing footage from Ring devices ring devices for approximately 22,000 investigations last year. It was not uncommon for law enforcement to ask individual residents for access to these recordings in the past, with many residents volunteering to send them. However, because these recordings are being requested directly from Amazon for both serious crimes and those that may be retaliatory, this this does pose new questions related to privacy rights for ring users and their neighbors. Facebook announced Wednesday that they will be blocking news access in Australia. According to Bobby Allen and Claire Miller at National Public Radio, this will also block users outside of Australia from reading or sharing news from Australian outlets. Facebook is blocking access to these features because of some proposed legislation in the country that would force Facebook to pay news outlets for stories shared on their platform. This law also targets other social media platforms, including Twitter. Campbell Brown, Facebook's vice president of Global News Partnerships, said in a blog post, quote, Today we made an incredibly difficult decision to restrict the availability of news on Facebook in Australia. For the last three years, Facebook has worked closely with the Australian government on regulation that would help better define the relationships between technology companies and news organizations. Regulatory environments conducive to strong collaboration allow us to build innovative and sustainable ways to support journalism for the long term, end quote. Campbell also claims that the proposed law in Australia ignores the fact that, quote, Facebook does not steal news content. Publishers choose to share their stories on Facebook. From finding new readers to getting new subscribers and driving revenue, news organizations wouldn't use Facebook if it didn't help their bottom lines, unquote. New York's attorney general is suing Amazon for a poor COVID-19 response. According to Brian Fung from CNN Business, this is referencing poor worker protections and protocols at Amazon workplaces. New York's Attorney General Letitia James argues that they violated labor laws by failing to close facilities for cleaning after exposures, not notifying workers if they'd been in contact with employees that tested positive, and failing to give employees time to clean their work workspaces or the adequate space to practice social distancing. The complaint says, quote, throughout the historic pandemic, Amazon has repeatedly and persistently failed to comply with its obligation to institute reasonable and adequate measures to protect its workers from the spread of the virus, end quote. Amazon disputes this claim, saying that they care about employee health and safety and that Amazon believes this filing is inaccurate and inconsistent with Amazon's actual policies and practices. The company also claims that they went above and beyond when it came to health precautions, setting their temperature screening, social distancing signs, and staggered shifts. Amazon employees have also criticized the company for a failure to quickly address COVID-19, as they did not announce temperature checks until multiple Amazon warehouses faced outbreaks. Several North Korean hackers have been charged by the U.S. Justice Department for global cyber attacks. According to Ryan Lucas at National Public Radio, 
the three hackers face charges related to computer-enabled bank thefts and cryptocurrency heists globally. All three hackers are members of the North Korean military, specifically their intelligence agency. One of the hackers, Park Jin Hyuk, was charged in 2018 for a cyber attack against Sony Pictures and Bangladesh's central bank. The indictment claims that the three hackers' schemes were some of the most damaging cyber attacks recorded, using spear phishing emails that gave them access to victims' computers. Their crimes included several continents, with victims of bank theft in Mexico, Malta, Pakistan, Poland, the Philippines, Vietnam, and the U.S., as well as attacks against cryptocurrency companies and online casinos worldwide. That's all for Tech News. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any part of our show, from local and national newscasts to our exclusive interviews, head to kcsufm.com news or KCSU News on Spotify to listen back. We'll be right back with Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. KCSU wants to hear your voice this Black History Month. Let us know what underrepresented people and events in Black history you think more people should be aware of. Leave us a voicemail at 970 971- for a chance to be featured on KCSU. Again, that number is Zach Braff on KCSU, coming to you live. You're looking crazy. Good morning, Fort Collins. KCSU, coming to you live in the morning. Zach Braff, driving is crazy on the 420. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey. And sometimes things are just kind of weird. So here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. A man has been arrested for identity theft after trying to apply for a handgun permit as former President Barack Obama. According to WRCB News, Robert Joseph Halleck of Chattanooga, Tennessee, was sent a denial letter from the Tennessee Department of Safety and Homeland Security Handgun Permit Unit on November 19th of 2020 due to a, quote, educated of committed mental defective and active warrant in Michigan. On January 21st, 2021, the state of Tennessee says that Halleck then sent another completed application form and a $50 check. But he used the name of President Barack H. Obama and forged the former president's signature on the form. The form also included a letter bearing the U.S. State Department letterhead, an insignia that usually signifies matters related to the federal government. Halleck has been charged with identity theft, a Class D felony. Wasps are being deployed as a weapon against moths to protect a historic mansion. According to the BBC, tiny parasitic wasps are being deployed at a historic mansion in a bid to stop moths damaging rare treasures, including a tapestry from Catherine the Great. The pest control technique is being used at Blickling Hall in Norfolk, England, thought to be the birthplace of Henry VIII's second wife, Anne Boleyn. A survey by the British National Trust showed pests and molds have arrived at 
historic properties in, in lockdown. The conservation charity, which owns the hall, said that despite careful housekeeping, the common clothes moth had been hard to control. Blickling is home to items such as Peter the Great Tapestry, which was a gift from Russia's Catherine the Great in the 1760s, and a counterpane from Queen Anne's throne canopy. To protect the items, the Trichogramma anvanesens wasp, which is just about 0.02 inches long, will be released. The wasps will seek moth eggs to lay their own eggs in, so a wasp rather than a moth larva hatches. The wasps then die naturally and disappear in the house dusk. Dust, uh, the National Trust said. Chemicals will also be used, which mimic those produced by female moths in the hope it confuses the males and reduces the chances of mating. Assistant National Conserver Hillary Jarvis said that the moths had flourished due to a coronavirus lockdown conditions, saying, quote, The relative quiet, darkness, and absence of disruption from visitors and staff provided perfect conditions for larvae and adults alike from March onwards, end quote. A Ukrainian man lied about committing a murder in the hopes that the police will remove the snow from his driveway when they came to arrest him. According to Euronews, the man called police on Saturday night to tell them he had killed his mother part mother's partner by stabbing him. He said the victim, uh, quote, showed no signs of life, end quote, according to what Yulia Kokotovan, a spokesman for the Chernivgiv police, said. Kotovan added that the man also advised police to bring a snowplow because, quote, it was not possible to reach his house otherwise, end quote. Law enforcement officers were, however, able to reach the property in the small village of Grybova Rudinia in northwestern Ukraine using an all-terrain vehicle. The alleged victim was, quote, safe and sound and no one had attacked him, end quote, according to the spokeswoman. The road in question had been cleared of snow in the morning, according to local authorities, but the man said he was unhappy with the work and hoped the police would finish the job. The suspect had admitted to making the false call and faces a fine of up to the Ukrainian equivalent of $4.26 for improper appeal. That's all for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Be sure to check us out online at kcsufm.com or on Spotify at KCSU News. And now, for the weather. Today was relatively cold with a high of 30 and a low of 8, with, a partly, with partly cloudy skies and 6 mile per hour wind speeds. Friday will be a bit warmer, with a high of 42 and a low of 15, with winds speeding up to 15 miles per hour. Saturday will have a high of 38 and a low of 16, with winds slowing to 12 miles per hour, and there will be a 20% chance of precipitation. Sunday, clouds will head out with a high of 40 and a low of 23, with winds slowing even more, down to 9 miles per hour. Monday will be about the same, but temperatures will range from 23 to 40 degrees throughout the day. Tuesday, the clouds will come back with a high of 55 and a low of 28, once again with winds reaching 9 miles per hour. And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins for the Rocky Mountain Review. Information for this segment comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. 
We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time. <laughs>